Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm egoless in my approach. If something is the best for the brand, then that is the direction it should be going in. And I think if you have that maturity, then, you know, hopefully things progress, you know, but it's baby steps. I always joked with my family that, you know, I'm juggling a baby at the same time as doing baby steps with a business. You start somewhere and you grow. By doing that, those baby steps grow into a mountain. And before you know it, you're a lot more ahead than you thought that you would be possibly at certain times. That's Rhea Morgan on today's Bucket List Careers. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Laurie. Rhea is UK-based and the sole founder, designer, and CEO of the Little Blazer Company. Rhea redefined her career success after leading an award-winning digital recruitment brand for a global company. She always loved fashion that blends old with the new. Her staple go-to look, the classic tweed blazer with jeans. And after searching everywhere for her daughters to have the same in their wardrobes, she was uninspired by the choice available in the market. Rhea also found a clear gender bias with limited choice for young girls and wanted to create a range of beautifully made blazers that are fun and easy to wear while recognizing individuality by enabling and encouraging self-expression through design. And we'll explain all of that in this conversation. This is an empowering journey. And in this chat, Rhea shares how she pulled off launching a business at 40 while juggling all the daily commitments of a stay-at-home parent and securing substantial investment as a sole female founder without a background in retail or design. All right, let's listen. Rhea, welcome to Bucket List Careers. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And before you say anything, I want you to know what a big fan I am of the brand you've created, The Little Blazer Company. I'm just disappointed that my girls are a little too old for the sizing. <laughs> and you've got so many requests for people to have that older range. So you never know. And it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. And you're recording from the UK, which is really fun. You're actually my second British guest. And yeah, you know this podcast. It unpacks career pivots. Yes. The how and the why, your decisions. And we're doing this to help people learn from you so they can craft their own dream jobs because you feel that now you've found what really truly fulfills you, which is amazing. So let's dial it back. In your previous career iterations, and you have a couple, you created and led an award-winning digital recruitment brand for a global company. You took time off to be a stay-at-home mom for a bit, which I respect and did myself. And before that, you were even a singer-songwriter for seven years. So, so much variety there. Why don't we start with that? You can walk us through. So I graduated from Warwick University and I'd always enjoyed the arts. I sort of delved into kind of the entertainment industry for a while. And, in, you know, I really enjoyed that and worked with some major songwriters in sort of EMI and some other brands. I sort of, I suppose, then fell into then recruitment, which, like you say, I headed up a global, well, a sort of a digital vision within a global PLC. And I was really enjoying it. You know, I was really enjoying that sort of that role. It was a great company. I was enjoying scaling the team uh, and kind of, in a sense, having that career that you stumble into, but you enjoy. And I suppose there's a level of comfort when you're enjoying something because you're good at it. You know, and I think that creates a level of comfortableness. And so we were so comfortable that we decided to sort of, in a sense, try for a family. 
And that's really when we decided, right, let's try it for a family and lucky, lucky enough to, to fall pregnant. And we were just so ecstatic. It was when our eldest, then Mila, came that my world just changed. You know, we spoke, Krista, about obviously that pivotal moment. And that was the pivotal moment for me when she came and my priorities, as it do, you know, when you have children, it just completely I did a U-turn, you know, I was no longer that sort of corporate driven, working every hour of the day. And also Mila, when she came, she was actually born with a physical difference. Mm. So Mila was born without a left forearm when she came. We just obviously wanted to support her in the best way possible. And that made me want to take that time out of work and be with her, not only in that first year, but just knew instinctively, you know, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the one that when she was learning to crawl and to walk, you know, having questions about her arm. So I didn't want someone else doing that. And, you know, thankfully we were in a position to be able to do that. But we also knew that it couldn't be forever. You know, financially, we would need that second income. It was, I suppose, quite early on then in that journey that I started thinking about, well, what do I want for the future? I want that long-term financial stability. You know, I want that flexibility. And that got me thinking, well, I've just created an award-winning brand for someone else. Why don't I try and do that for myself? So that was, I suppose, the start. So you were looking for that balance, which so many parents are, and... Now you're juggling being the sole founder, designer, and CEO of the little blazer company. Congratulations on that. Tell me more about that origin story. You obviously saw a white space there for design. Tell me again about how it's gender neutral for girls. You really wanted to give girls a choice that you didn't think was there. I stumbled really, if I'm honest, across this, this I suppose, space for a specialist, for it to be a gender neutral specialist. One of my staple go-tos in my own wardrobe is that classic tweed blazer and jeans combination. And I was looking for similar inspiration in the marketplace for my two daughters. So Mila, who's six, Sophia, who's three. And I just couldn't find anything. You know, I couldn't find anything that had that pop of colour, that character, that comfort, which is obviously so important when you're buying clothes for children. And like you say, I stumbled across also the fact that there was this gender bias. So almost a bit of an assumption that traditional blazers are too masculine a product to attract young girls. And that, there's such a disconnect there because obviously if you think of the adult market in the female space, that disconnect isn't there. So why is it when it comes to the to young girls? So and then I realized, okay, there's a there's a gender sort of bias here. There's also a price point, you know, sort of a sweet spot to so an opportunity on price point and design. And there's also the, that kind of want to challenge that status quo, that it is innovative, that it's something that can be quite different. And that's what I wanted really when I thought about creating my own brand, because I think I don't know about you, but I think there seems to be this trend to have your own brands now. People just want to have their own brand. They've got this idea of what a founder can be and obviously that financial sort of gain that can happen to a lot of people. So everybody wants to do something like that. And I never, I did, I suppose, want to in a way, but I didn't want to just do anything. It had to be specific for me. I wanted two things. I wanted, first of all, for something for me to have a passion for it, because I think you've got to have that natural drive. You know, you've got to really just love something to want to do it. And secondly, I wanted something that could really scale. So it could be like a major brand. And to be able to have that major brand, you needed that USP. You needed something to be unique. So from that perspective, 
I was quite specific. I was quite hard on myself in, okay, what I would be willing to do because I never underestimated the challenge and the kind of the sacrifice in a sense that it took to sort of really map something out and to be able to grow it. So that's when I suppose the, you know, the concept of the Little Blazer Company as a gender neutral specialist came to life, wanting that colour, that character and that comfort. Right. And digging further into it, you also promote, and I'm reading this so I get it proper, positive icon affiliated character statements to empower children through fashion. So explain that to me, because, you know, the show is about not just your journey and how you were able to pivot, but something that really fuels your soul. So doing this where you're empowering kids through design, that must be very rewarding for you. Absolutely. I think the thing is, I think with the prevalence of social media, you know, the importance placed on youth mental health, inclusive, diverse representation, being able to create a brand where you have, you know, we have obviously the character, well, the colour theme, we've got the icons on the back and those icons have, have an affiliation. So a character statement affiliated. So they're all adorned with an expression of character. So for example, the unique unicorn is for the dreamers, free in spirit, pure of heart. Got the dynamic dinosaur for those who like to roar. We've got the magic mermaid. They represent the beauty of being different and having the strength to own it and so on. So it's basically something that anyone can take from, you know, that they can look at that and they can feel that sort of that connection. And I think when your children are going out and doing whatever, be it, you know, a social activity or a performance or whatever they're doing, you want them to feel that you're always with them. And I think that was also the concept is the fact that, you know, when they put these blazers on, it can be almost putting on their armour to face the world, to know that you are there, you're a supporter, you're their biggest advocate, and you're saying, be you, be pride. Absolutely adore everything about that. And let's also talk about your emphasis on ethical, sustainable production. You support a slow fashion industry, which is based on handmade craftsmanship for you in the UK. What are the challenges there and why is it so important? I think it's so important because our world is our biggest asset and our children's future is paramount. So from my perspective, creating an heirloom garment, you know, that basically not only from an emotional perspective can be passed through the generations, but also, you know, you are helping the environment. You are keeping that carbon footprint as small as humanly possible. You know, all of our production, all our sourcing is made in the UK. That brings a certain price tag. I wanted to make sure that this was a, an affordable luxury to a degree, you know, that we were being as competitive as we could be, but it being a UK make so that we can support the businesses around us as well. I and mean, each blazer comes with its own complementary carrier and that's handmade. It's colour matched, it's handmade, bespoke cloth. We have a, it's a unique collection with Harris Tweed Hebrides. We have the full endorsement of the Harris Tweed Authority and each cloth I designed myself. So when I realised that I could design each pattern, you know, every colour within that pattern and it would be unique to us, that was really a, a sort of a selling point for me as well to go with that Harris Street partnership. Would you say that all of that attention to the detail was one of the toughest obstacles in terms of launching? And if not that, tell me about a roadblock getting this off the ground and how you overcame it. Oh, wow. It's, it's been a journey so far, as you can imagine, especially, you know, I mean, I have no background in retail or design. 
probably the largest challenge to date was indeed securing the investment. This is a premium product. I had a set strategy that I wanted to implement and I knew that would take a certain amount of funding. So I, I wasn't in a position to do that myself, you know, so I knew, right, what I need to do is go out and find some investors. And I did consider VCs and also angels and I did go down the angel route, actually, that, that's kind of partnered better with me. But yeah, if you think about the fact that I'm a sole female founder and that comes with itself challenges, you know, because the stats are against you. It's retail and the majority of investors run a model from retail. It's pre-MVP, even though I had some prototypes, you know, it's still pre-MVP. It's confidential because I didn't want to tell anyone anything. So every investor had to sign an NDA. So if you think of all these things, and like I say, I don't have a background in retail. I'm not a designer. All of these things contribute to investors sort of, there's a lot of questions and obviously a lot of, lot of explaining and sort of divulging you need to do. But I think what I did have was clearly a good, strong background when it comes to setting up a brand within another company and scaling it, making that award winning, making it, you know, successful. I had, I think it was probably after my second investor committed, I, I then secured a NED. My NED, my non-executive director is one of the co-founders of Ted Baker and he's just found London oh. as well. That was great for me because to have someone that not only got me, got my vision, to have somebody that, that had that background, because I'm all for surrounding myself with people that really can give you the proper advice that you need. And also I secured SEIS and EIS assurance here in the UK, which was a big sort of selling point for UK investors. So all of these different things, like I say, were challenges that I then sort of overcame. And it took me a good year, you know, it's probably close to a year that I took to secure the funding I wanted before launching. I was just about to ask you about your timeline. I think that's pretty standard. Also wanted to comment on having a trusted team. I see these common threads when I talk to founders. You know, older founders often outperform younger ones. And you're far from old. Don't take that the wrong way. But research shows older, you know, second act founders. So tell me why you believe that's true in your opinion. You did speak about transferring your skills. Do you think it's a mindset as well? Mm, no, absolutely. I think you can only really assess yourself in that situation because I, I, I would say that I've seen some incredibly impressive young founders and then likewise some really impressive older founders. So I think in looking at me particularly, I don't think I could have created this brand and done it justice being Rhea, you know, in her early 20s because of what I have learned in my life so far. Would it be easier? Probably to a degree, because, you know, I like to say very much juggling a toddler. I mean, when I first started this, well, it was before, obviously, it was before Sophia was born. All through this journey, I very much had to look after a baby and then a toddler and now, now a three-year-old and obviously doing the school run. My husband's in full-time work. I'm lucky because he does have a level of flexibility with his job. So we're like for now, they're downstairs. You know, we've just been, we've been out in the garden all, all afternoon because it's snowing here. So we've been building snowmen. I came in to change just before seeing you. But yeah, I'm lucky with that. But from my perspective... I've definitely grown through having different careers and having different experiences and being able to bring all of that together to sort of, in a sense, take a step back. I think that's the biggest thing probably is your age gives you a maturity to sometimes maybe just breathe and take a step back. And, you know, I would have been a lot more reactionary, I think, in my younger youth. That's probably the biggest difference with how I would have juggled things. What would you say your best takeaways are for finding and launching a new phase of your career that really fuels your soul, as we've said, you know, finding that professional purpose that we're seeking. And what advice do you have based on your journey? I've said this before, but I, I really stand by this statement. You really have to know your worth. 
Oh, you've always got to remember that statement really goes both ways, you know, because the reality of it is that it's so important, especially as a sole founder, to have faith in your ability, you know, to know what you bring to the table, because after all, it's your baby, you know, it's your vision. But it's equally as important to remember there is those people that you surround yourself with that helps make any vision a reality. You know, it does take a village. So from that perspective, you've got to have that openness to know when to assess when you're making the right move. And I think also when you think of the statement, know your worth, it triggers lots of different things also to keep remembering. So following your gut when it comes to that tribe you surround yourself with, you know, finding people that really get you and get your business. Knowing also, I suppose, that your worth will change because as your business hopefully grows, your worth will would sort of grow or you'll take a step back, you know, and I suppose being open to that, embracing that, knowing that change will happen and having a positive view on change. It's managing your emotions. You will go on an absolute roller coaster, you know, of emotions when you're trying to launch something like a new brand. I've definitely had surprises. I've definitely made mistakes. I've definitely had things go in a different direction to what I initially thought. If you always think of the brand first, you know, and you put your ego second, I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm proud of being able to do is I'm egoless in my approach. If something is the best for the brand, then that is the direction it should be going in. And I think if you have that maturity, then, you know, hopefully things progress, you know, but it's baby steps. I always joked with my family that, you know, I'm juggling a baby at the same time as doing baby steps with a business. You start somewhere and you grow. By doing that, those baby steps grow into a mountain. And before you know it, you're a lot more ahead than you thought that you would be possibly at certain times. And you believe you have something worthwhile. That roller coaster ride that you just described is worth it. Just don't get off, right? <laughs> don't get off too soon. Just ride it out. That's amazing advice. Rhea Morgan of The Little Blazer Company, I'm so honored to have you on the show. And tell me where everyone can find you online, where we can actually buy your products. We have an online boutique, so it's at littleblazercompany.com. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as well, but Instagram is probably our main social feed. Please follow and really help everyone's journey in a fashionable sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. Great conversation. I wish you the best. You too. Thank you. Just two episodes till we hit the 100 mark. Countdown is on. Thanks so much for being a part of this journey with me. And for those of you that have been there every step of the way, I appreciate you. We're always looking for guests. So send me a DM on social or shoot me an email. It's Krista at bucketlistcareerspodcast.com. I'll be back with you on Thursday with a new episode. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.